Welcome to RMIT Creative The Salon. Every Tuesday, we sit down and discuss topics that interest us, texts that we loved, or things that made us angry. We share, we chat, and usually it morphs into a crazy discussion about many recommendations on things to watch, listen, or read. If you would like to join us, you can head over to our Facebook group, RMIT Creative The Salon, to participate at 3pm on Tuesdays. In the Facebook group, you will also find links to recommendations talked about in the show and sneak peeks about what we will be discussing next week. So I would like to begin the second session of the salon by acknowledging that we are all meeting on the Woiwurrung and Boomerang lands of the Kulin Nation. We are participating in the oldest living culture on the planet and I would like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging for having us here in this beautiful and relatively safe place. Let's hop into our first very exciting topic from our newest club joining us, Rosanna from Catwalk Club. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, we actually started probably beginning of 2018 as a kind of a support club for uh, fashion students doing their grad shows because we had lots of you know frustration for our own grad show we thought oh we really need a club then we can access funds and we can sort of get everyone together and we can have a bit of a, a public name to ourselves and and that way network faster and, and get models and hair and makeup artists and all all the necessary people together yeah so it started off as that we did a first show for vamp we were super ambitious in those days and we managed to get yeah something like 30 designers put this show on that looked to the to the audience like it was very smooth and <laughs> well managed <laughs> Little did they know (laughs) that um, there were all sorts of things that we just sort of scraped through on the day. (laughs) Thank you so much for that background on Catwalk Club, Rosanna. That's fascinating. I didn't know that about your history. (laughs) So, Rosanna, we are looking to you to introduce your topic for this week. Yes. Um, Obviously, in the last two weeks, three weeks, two months, with the whole COVID thing building up, we've just gone headlong into this collision with um, who are we as a society and where are we going and what are we doing and what is this a sign of and what is that a sign of and everything's gotten very deep. Anyway, so face masks in, in, in the fashion world. So I sort of, obviously there's a functional need for protective equipment and then there's all sorts of theories um, and opposing opinions on the whole face mask issue. It's a little microcosm of, of a bigger thing. So here, here I go. Would you wear a face mask? Why has there been such a reluctance to take up this item on the streets of Melbourne? What does it say about our values as Westerners and our assumptions about what it means to put on a mask? What someone is when they're wearing a mask? Does it mean that you admit that you have this disease? Does it help to convey the sense that we are now in a new kind of normal and we need to relate to each other and sort of affirm this idea of at least physical distance thing, let's just say. And then in the traditional art of fashion styling and outfits and balance and visual aesthetics, we often talk about hiding and revealing. What happens when we hide a part of our face? Do we need to compensate somehow? But does it mean that that I have to go overboard 
with my headwear. So I'm hoping to just throw a bunch of ideas out and then whatever resonates with everyone else, just re-pick up that thread and just shoot from the hip and we'll see where the discussion goes. So what does that mean? Do we need to exaggerate with the hair or um, do I need to be more gestural now? Do I need to, to wear more colour in my face or face mask to express the emotion that, that can't be expressed through my mouth? Will widespread face masks in the Melbourne setting, let's just say, where we live, lead to problems of identifying perpetrators of crime? Is that a reason why we shouldn't be wearing masks? Because that could make it easier for criminals to do criminally things. And then online, I've seen all these humorous memes, you know, travellers coming back with tan lines, you know, in the shape of face masks. And then also what's been happening in Hong Kong and the US now where coronavirus has traveled through up until now, volunteers making face masks as a part of the efforts to overcome the PPE shortages. At the same time, you've got these, these middlemen who come in and, and buy up all the face masks and try and resell them to hospitals. Then of course, everyone's asking, what's the best materials for a mask? Is it your PJ materials? You know, Should I get my vacuum cleaner bags out and make something out of that? In the fashion circles, um, women's wear daily are talking about masks as the next fashion item. Is it going to be, you know, that kind of thing. But in the immediate environment that we're in, is it kind of distasteful to go all out fashion when people are actually just dying and we should be thinking of functionality? Rosanna, I was going to say, you've, you've put out so many <laughs> amazing provocations. Do have anything they want to jump in and say? I'm here, right? Just quickly jump in. I'm here to just quickly jump in. In January, I spent some time in Indonesia. And so I guess my first ever experience like wearing a mask um, was just like, oh, this is how it is in Indonesia. I'm trying to like assimilate into a life here. It like became my new normal, I guess. I then had to do a trip to the UK. It was like just before COVID got quite bad. And I went to go see my grandfather who's in a nursing home. And I had to wear a mask as I was like walking in and out of the nursing home. And it felt so strange in a completely different setting, yeah. wearing exactly the same thing, experiencing two different sides of like being in London and it being completely strange and being in Indonesia and it being completely normal. I think I'd love to see wearing masks because it's part of your everyday life get a bit more common here in Melbourne. And I saw one of my students that I was tutoring, they um, made some by themselves out of like a leopard print material and it was like pink and it was super cute. And it just took away that, I guess, stigma and scariness from the whole situation. That whole scariness, yeah. I haven't got a printout of this famous painting by a surrealist painter called René Magritte and it's called The Lovers and there's also a Lovers too. And it's basically, well, obviously a man and a woman, they're lovers, but they're wearing sheets over their heads. So it is really freaky because there's, there's intimacy and then there's that, that block to intimacy. And as human beings, we need the connection. That, that is part of who we are. So there is that kind of affront when you see someone with a mask that somehow needs to be overcome, I guess. So I'm from Taiwan and this, the whole mask thing is very normal for us because the pollution and whatnot. We actually have the this all sort of mask with pictures on or cute prints. However, I did see a report in Taiwan. They have like a mask selling place and they're like, you know, if you want 
prints you want lepel or whatnot but i do in western society they are linked the mass thing to a contamination of disease or this kind of terrifying things you can't reuse that many times because the hygiene and possible contamination but recently there are products you can put the mask inside and then you you can take it out you can wash the, the material outside uh, which is quite functional i think and people are freaking out about using them i don't know why it's just a mask it's protecting us and it's protecting other people it just is normal to me but people especially politicians because they want publicity so they refuse to wear it so it's set up like quite a missingle to other people as well because they're really refusing using them and they think it's gonna create a, a panic by people wearing them I think it's really interesting how differently masks are perceived in different cultures. For example, in Asian culture, it's very normal to wear a mask, even if you're just going outside, um, in, in regards to pollution and whatnot. And then in Western culture, you only wear a mask if um, you never really wear a mask, to be honest. You're going to rob a bank, maybe. <laughs> yeah, literally. But I also think that this polar opposite type thing is also a reflection of the societies themselves. I feel like um, when I go to China and visit there, everyone's in their own little bubble and like what happens to someone else's family is not your business, what someone else wears, no one really cares and you live in your own bubble. Um, meanwhile, in Western countries, especially in places like Melbourne, everyone's all about like caring what other people do. Even the whole like privileged people supporting those with less privilege, the whole white people going on about Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. In Western culture, what I found is that people are really invested in other people and they care what other people do and think and they care about the actions of other people. Meanwhile, in other cultures, for example, Asian culture, no one really cares what another person does. If you're like from a low socioeconomic class, I'm not going to try to help you through equitable taxes, you know. Um, you're responsible to work hard and earn that money. Like that's a very like, some would say it's narrow-minded, it's, it's dependent on what you believe, I just think that that cultural difference is really interesting. That is very interesting, Sarah. Thanks for sharing that. In regards to the whole face mask thing, I found it really interesting seeing, like, on my social media feed, especially for Instagram, like, I follow a lot of celebrities and whatnot. And for one example in particular, I saw, like, Kate Hudson, how to make a face mask. And it was just really interesting to see all these celebrities jump onto sort of that, in a way, this whole face mask thing. It's a very serious thing, but some people is like, seeing it as maybe, like, a trend as well, how to, like, sort of spice up face masks and how that can sort of like be yours and yours essentially, as opposed to just like a medical thing. And seeing how all those people are drawing into that so people can become more familiar and to create a sense of normality as well, seeing as this is a time where something like a face mask would be required. So just to make that connection of a face mask being something that you yourself have put together. That's a really good point, Andreas. I've seen a couple of people on my Facebook feed who have children making really fun face masks. Um, I think as a, as a way of trying to distract children from the, the quite scary elements um, of what might be going on. And I know from a current affairs podcast that I listened to, The Signal, that the homemade face masks are maybe not the most effective in terms of a serious personal protective gear but I think part of it might be a sort of a sense of doing something like 
I'm making a face mask, therefore I'm kind of taking a little bit of control of the situation. Um, what, do, what does everyone else think? That's really true. Like the fact that I'm making a face mask and implementing one that I've made homemade into my lifestyle brings me at ease a little bit, which can also sort of change that homemade face mask effect into perhaps what could be considered as a bit of a placebo, thinking that the fact that I've made one is all that matters. Yeah, I think um, wearing a face mask doesn't replace like good hygiene. And I think that's why governments around the world have really been pushing hand washing. So in this situation, whether we wear it or we don't wear it, um, there's other ways to be really hygienic. But I also think I'd love to see some of the stigma that surrounds it kind of go away. I think that's a really good point, Neve. Yeah, the, the placebo effect of feeling like you have that protection when actually the safest thing is to stay home. Okay, Andreas, yes. Jurassic Park, what does it make you feel? So, for those who aren't familiar with the film, for one thing, after this meeting, go watch the film immediately. Um, <laughs> Jurassic Park is film but it was also based on a book that was written by Michael Crichton in 1990 and then Michael Crichton and director Steven Spielberg who directed the film they already had a, some kind of professional relationship so it was always going to be Steven Spielberg who was going to direct this picture but other directors like say Tim Burton and James Cameron were also interested in directing which is quite interesting seeing is like I don't really see Jurassic Park being directed by Tim Burton I don't know um so the film was released in 1993 and made over a billion dollars in the worldwide box office, making it the highest grossing film of all time. It also won three Academy Awards for best sounds, best sound effects and best visual effects. And this film was very much a lead way and a landmark film for the special effects industry because no one had ever seen special effects like in this film before. And that also led to the subsequent sequel, which was released four years later in 1997 called The Lost World Jurassic Park. Again, based on the book, The Lost World by Michael Crichton. So both of these films for me are essentially the epitome of my childhood. I was one of those kids that grew up loving and adoring everything to do with dinosaurs and still to this day, very fascinated. It's a film for me that resonates a lot of nostalgia because I could just remember being at family's house and I'd be in the living room while my family would be like asleep in the background and I'd just be re-watching the VHS tape again and again. I'll repeat VHS tape that old because it was just one of those films I wanted to watch on repeat again and again. It was such a brilliantly orchestrated film. All the elements were amazing. Even if you just listen to the theme song, you will be just perplexed by that immensity and just the main elements like the title Jurassic Park just thinking about that gives me goosebumps the name steven spielberg that's just he's all the way up there like a film of his in that stamina in that era it's just like you know it's going to be a gold mine and of course it was everyone loved this film of course they didn't know what to expect because it was so different but everyone loved it and it was one of those films that was so well received that even if people were you know terrified that it wasn't because they were terrified because they were scared it was because they were excited it was that fear factor that everyone loved to endure they loved being scared of these dinosaurs because they just <laughs> seemed so real and in saying that both the first film and the second film really resonate for me even though unfortunately i wasn't alive in the 90s and i didn't get to see them in the cinemas 
it just was a film that imprinted on me at a young age, knowing that I was one of those dinosaur kids and I got to see <laughs> these films like on a DVD or a VHS tape. Can't exactly remember when it was. A couple years ago, the Astor decided to show a screening of the first film and of course I went and saw it. And it was just, there's just something really gratifying about seeing one of your favourite films, if not your favourite film at the cinema, because it's just like, there it is up there, up and close. In saying that, I would love to hear about everybody else's experiences with that one nostalgic film that just resonates from an earlier part in their life that they watched today and they're just like, yes, this doesn't bring me any unhappiness. I can like watch this even if I'm feeling a bit down and it'll instantly hype me back up again. It will instantly make me feel, yes, I can literally do anything. I'd love to hear that. Um, whenever I'm feeling, you know, like when life gets completely overwhelming, <laughs> my go-to safety blanket in terms of movies is probably The Hobbit. We're going on ad- adventure. Yes. You know? <laughs> and and it, it, is, it is really, I think it's something about the genre of kids' fantasies and adventures, which is really magical. And it's, it's that period that you hope you'll never have the misfortune to lose because it's mm. always part of us. Um, and it's always there. And it's actually the, the heart of what it means to be creative. I think it's that sense of wonder, that sense of the unknown. And just like you love being scared because it's just like, wow, oh my God, you know. <laughs> and, it, and it's completely fun. It's, it's a safe kind of fear in a way. And it, just, it celebrates the whole just discovering everything, every little sound, every little drop, every little colour that, that passes as something new. And, and that, that's ideally you, you want to be like that in the, in the world. And, and, and if you're lucky to be like that in the world, if you can just sort of, obviously Steven Spielberg has that because he put, the, it's, it's magic, isn't it? And he can infuse things with magic. And we can all do that as well with our sense of bit of magic that we, we all have. It's probably something really primal in, like you talk about Jurassic and, and how it's set, you know, even before humans, so I, I think there's elements that we've in, in, inherited from our ancestors, like way back in the Neanderthal days, that just didn't know things and went and discovered things and and got burnt and and got bitten and but but that was all part of the adventure and 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 the joy of it. I think that's a really interesting what you've touched on there, Rosanna. The idea that both of you are drawn to movies that have some scary elements and also some really magical creatures. And I'm really interested, Andreas, in what you said about the idea of being a dinosaur kid because I absolutely was a dinosaur kid. I, I never went oh through God. the horse phase, but yep. I was obsessed yep. with dinosaurs. Yep. Yep. Um, and like, and I'm thinking about about dinosaurs and like dragons and big lizards and and huge magical creatures. And there's something that is simultaneously so captivating and entrancing. And like, I want to be your friend, giant lizard thing. Yes. Um, but also, <laughs> please don't eat me. It's so big. <laughs> So um, I think I might be a little bit different to everyone else because I like grow up in China, which is completely different cultural background. And I've just like watched a film recently that was about it's the film of the actor who suicide like twenty years ago, um, because of depression. And but that film is very a classic film, and it got um re-screaming every year so the film is called farewell my concubine and it's about um two boys that met in the opera school they've like acting um operas and one of the guy 
that he's gay and he also like in that film he's playing himself like putting himself as an actor of the concubine which is a female actors but he's kind of in love with that male actors in the film so he's trying to identify himself in terms of this relationship inside this opera and also outside um like in real life which this happening as china have changed three different rulers at a time which cross a very broad timeline. I really like this film because it's kind of shaped um, how China has developed from that patriarchal society and it's kind of changing all the time. It, this film is reflecting kind of this cultural backgrounds of China. For me, like living here in Australia, it's always a different perspective to look back to where I have grown up and as I've learning and like getting like these different ideas from the Western society, like this clashes in culture is very interesting for me to see. And also this film, it's also have like, it's very brave in terms of like speaking these very sensitive topics, which sometimes got banded um, in China for a period. And yeah, like this film um, has been praised by many people. So we look at them, it's, quite um moving to me yeah yeah that's really interesting to hear joy given that specific connection as well seeing as lots of different places around the world have different connections to what they see and what they perceive in sort of like a media sense it's just really interesting to hear that different perspective so that was really awesome thank you so much i guess i love the idea of fan fiction and having people recreate a story, finding plot holes and fixing them or just putting themselves or creating like offshoots of different stories. And I feel like that really keeps, I guess, the movie magic alive. For me, I love reading Twilight fan fiction, even though Twilight is such a problematic and stupid movie. I love reading Twilight fiction and seeing people like change a story or like add certain parts oh, like really make it yeah. But I have and I recently just rewatched Twilight, but I have like a year rule where um I won't rewatch a film within that year because I just grow to hate it and I wanna just have that pristine first time we watch it feeling forever. But yeah, I'm a bit strange like that. For me, that's like the ultimate nostalgia. I'm the biggest Disney fan. I love to go to the Disney theme parks. Yeah. And like just meet the princesses. But I don't like, even when I re I rewatch the movies, it's not as like fun or it's like, it's not the way that I, my seven year old self remembers it. So I, I don't rewatch movies, but I just live in that world. I, I just want to jump in and quickly uh, throw the spotlight on Sean. Sean, tell us about oh. a movie that makes you nostalgic. I'll say Lord of the Rings. You know, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Ooh. Love it. I like, I like The Hobbit, yeah. You oh, you like The Hobbit too? I love yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, just those magical Character? creatures and those dragons and all those big spectacular battles. You know, they always bring back so many memories. Oh, yeah. Is there a Lord of the Rings character that you relate to the most, Sean? Uh, not really. <laughs> they're all very, you know, they're all very courageous and, and confident. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. If you could be, which, yeah, which one would you be? If I could be, definitely Frodo. 
That's really interesting talking about that disconnection from a character that you really like that's not necessarily like yourself, how you sort of feel like, wow, this character is really interesting. I really like engage with them. That's, that's awesome. That's Yeah. I wish I could be tape. like him, but I'm not. <laughs> Are you perhaps just waiting for the right wizard to come along and show, throw you into an adventure? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. My Hogwarts letter, it definitely <gasps> just got lost in the mail. Like I'm, I'm 20 and it's going to come on. Really <laughs> Sorry. It's funny when we confuse like reality with it. You know how sometimes you just refuse to believe that that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> we believe, we just believe anything we want. Like there's totally an island in the middle of the ocean with dinosaurs on it. No one can tell me otherwise. All right. I'm so excited. So welcome to Mother Hacker. Neve Wilkin, take us away. Oh, I love this podcast so much and fiction podcasting is my new favourite medium to listen to stories in because it just makes you just feel so intently in the story throughout this character, Bridget. She's a mum. She works at, she's like a receptionist at her daughter's school and her husband's in rehab and she's having money difficulties. So she's um, struggling to pay her mortgage and she's just this character that you instantly feel connected to because she's just perfectly imperfect, I guess. And she's an amazing liar. So she gets hacked by this decay and the people on the phone convince her to pay all this money over the phone. And then she tracks them down and joins them and does the same thing back to other people. And I just, I love this podcast so much. Definitely go listen to it after this. It only runs for about two hours. I think, first of all, like the the medium is just so interesting. I guess you always think about like watching a show or reading something. And I guess when you watch like movies and TV, you're kind of like a little bit removed um, sometimes from the story. Whereas here, when it's like in your ears, you hear like the conversations, but also everything she kind of mumbles the way it's like made really just sucks you in. And Gimlet has a couple of fiction podcasts that I really love. So I definitely linked them in our Facebook group after this. I guess I love the story because you love Bridget, but you really know that deep down you don't ever want to be in her situation. And you just kind of feel like there's this ideal situation where you're like, if that happens to me, I'm not silly enough to fall for those hackers on the phone. And I'm not silly enough to like spend $25,000 and just send it somewhere. Um, but then that little voice in your head is like, Bridget fell for it and you could too. And I guess it's just this complete <laughs> mind blow where you're like, oh my God, um, that could be me. And you wish it wasn't, but maybe it could. But also these kind of fiction shows bring up these situations for me where a lot of the time they implement voice assistants. So what we would call Alexa in the show, it's called Mary. And there's these underlying themes of having that voice assistant in your home and it listening and doing things for you and just basically having control over your whole life. There's these little undercurrents of that in the show and um, of other uh, Gimlet shows that just bring up all these questions about tech. I think that the point about the tech and the, the Mary that is clearly the code for Alexa and also Siri and things like that, it's such a good point because it's used in the podcast um, for anyone who hasn't listened to it it's used with this great effect because 
you're never you're never being spoken to by the podcast. Um, there's some podcast fiction podcasts that I've listened to where you're constantly hearing this sort of editorialization by this really American voice going, I didn't know what to do next. So I decided to call my best friend Rex and go for a ride with Miss Hummer and things like that. Whereas this, it's like you're just overhearing phone conversations and things that a single mother might mutter to themselves when they're driving in a car and conversations and therefore overhearing her give instructions to um, Mary, which is the the AI, um, is a really important part of the story. Um, And I think that's part of why it's so engrossing is because it doesn't feel like a story. It feels so like little snippets of overheard of someone's life. Um, And I think the way they put that story together is really clever. Um, And then there's this whole second element of actually Mary has maybe been listening back um, and and without wanting to spoil anything, that becomes part of the plot. Yeah, and I think I just love it because it brings back this whole new form of storytelling. And I think what makes me love podcasts so much is when you stop after listening to a really great one and you just go, oh my God, what did I just listen to? And whoa, like give me a second to even process. Um, the last podcast, um, the last two podcasts I was really riveted were um, stories of people who behaved in a fraudulent way and managed to con people, which is kind of is connected, uh, I think, maybe loosely. But And, and I think um, just that whole ability to, for one person to kind of pull the wool over someone else's <laughs> makes you so angry and, and at the same time you're sort of envious how they do it. <laughs> uh, so there was a... Um, there was a, I think she's Russian um, girl. What was her name? It's, it was a real fashion scandal. And this girl, she, she went to New York and she made friends with all the, like she'd go to clubs and stuff and she'd, she'd meet people and she'd basically con people into thinking that she was this heiress to um, big fortune or something and she managed to almost rent out a really expensive building that she was going to lease out make into a big gallery and she was she was just crazy so rosanna you are wrapping up the first of the two podcasts you were telling us about the russian not actually an heiress and neve had you figured out which podcast this was um was it the so the swindled the socialite what does it say her name is uh anna Delvey. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's it's pretty good, that one. And Rosanna, what was the other deception-focused podcast? That um, it was an Australian them? guy. Um, oh, he, he went into um, the stock market, sort of like a stockbroker. He just pretended that he was a stockbroker and he just went in there and he would make all these unbelievable um, sales or something. Who the hell is Hamish? Yes, yes, yes. Ah, yes. oh, that podcast blows your brain it's like the guy that was up on the north shore in new south wales queensland area right and he was investing people's money but it was like a ponzi scheme so he would he would take people's money to invest and then he would give that money that he took from person a to person b as like their their earnings yeah so there wasn't actually any money being invested but he like really attached himself to um, families and was like this saving grace for so many people. And it turned out like he, this is like all true that he like just 
there was nothing left and people like invested their life savings and then um realized that he got like found as a fraud and he's just it just blows your mind that there are just people in the world where they can um, <laughs> yeah. just pretend to be somebody else like I feel so much guilt when I have to like lie to someone to throw a surprise birthday for them and people like do this their whole life and just how mentally exhausting that would be like just trying to like remember everything and that's why I love um Mother Hacker and there's another podcast that I really love called Sandra which is it's a fiction podcast as well and it's like Amazon but instead of Alexa just giving you the answers there's people that like work in a computer center who google the answers and research and give the answers back to you through the Alexa type Mm -hmm. model Alexa is now called Sandra and it's about this girl who works in the bird department every time (laughs) someone asks a question to Sandra about birds she gets sent the question and then she like talks to them through Sandra I mean, that whole idea that fake is bad um, is is being revised now. I mean, the whole, again, like you link it back to the whole idea of creativity. Creativity is always trying to find something new and, and you know, fantasy, you know, there's nothing wrong with fake when it when it doesn't harm people, when it's not intentionally trying to harm people. Yeah, that whole, the whole digital world. Yeah, go. I was just going to say, I think that's one of the really interesting things about Mother Hacker is that she does like she's not a bad person like she's not a sociopath she's not a psychopath she she empathizes with people um and there's a bit in the trailer where she's like i'm not gonna do single moms i'm not gonna do like vulnerable people or people who are poor or people who like i'm only gonna do rich white men because like it's very easy to say that but then when you're getting offered larger and larger amounts of money to make small incremental compromises on your ethics Mm. you can see how someone who at the beginning if you'd said would you do this awful thing to this really vulnerable person they would just say straight out no but as you like they make small little compromises away so and your own sort of sense of um right and wrong is gradually eroded away until you lose sense of your grounding and and that's yeah Oh yeah, I have like listened to a few podcasts, but it's not like fictional. Yeah, um, it's like more about um, like they talk about different topics each week. It's called ninety nine percent invisible. Yeah, because they talk about um things like architecture, technologies, um, sounds. There's all different topics they talk about each week, and they invite the guests from different. I think different count countries um to discuss a like topic that is like a trend or something at a time um so the one topic i have remembered i was listening to was about the time we're waiting um online as like people processing um information for us like how to make it um be more acceptable um as the technology have is the time process um, so, like, the designers have changed the way of displays from just, like, a bar of the progress, like, to another, like, show you how people actually process are behind the screen. Um, because if you only have the bar there, um, like, it's not really satisfying to know what kind of things is happening. And it's make people very anxious, like, just waiting there. 
yeah, like I really like that podcast. It's giving me different new ideas and different new things. Yeah. From there, yeah. That's fascinating. That's so interesting because I have noticed that evolve over time. But of course, that's someone's entire job is figuring out how to do that most effectively. I guess it's like all villains in films. Like at one point, they we like it's like imagine if you could just know every villain's backstory and like if they became the antagonist of their own story, you get to see that progression of like all those tiny little steps. But the reason why they're the antagonist of the story is because we just didn't get to see that part and we're like starting the story after they've crossed the line and so for us as the audience that's the bad guy whereas like if the world was controlled by robots and humans didn't have to do anything we could just watch movies all day we would have like 10 hour movies where you could have the whole backstory of the villain and like appreciate them as a character that they deserve and you'd get to see like this cool progression of the character that assumes though that we're all born angels and we gradually you know corrupt but but um if, if you look at real life um like some re- really horrific crimes like there was that you know is human beings do we start off amazing and then something really bad happened to that one person and now they're evil or you know are some people kind of just born that's a really good question rosanna you know, um, I think the, and the other, like the, the opposite is also a really good question, which is to say that, um, yeah, okay, maybe someone who does like, you know, cause often when you look into really horrible serial killers, they like their father was an alcoholic and their mother beat them up and maybe someone sexually abused them. And there's all this trauma in their childhood, but there's also lots, lots more people who also have really traumatic childhoods who don't grow up to do horrible crimes. And so it's that thing of like, it can't really be an excuse anyway. Like even understanding someone's trauma, why is it that one in every 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 people that that's the person who goes and ends up doing something really horrible as opposed to just, you know, sort of trying to process their trauma as best they can. And there is really, I mean, not that I'm an expert on this at all, but, you know, it is fascinating sometimes you see these programs on TV um, and, um, you know, that, that someone might be capable of doing things like that out of pure pleasure or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bit crazy. <laughs> All right. On that hugely uplifting <laughs> note. <laughs> On that note, everyone make a face mask this week. Hey. Everyone watch Jurassic Park this week. Yay! Okay. Yes. And I'm pretty and sure once you then listen to Mother Hacker. <laughs> yeah, but Mother I'm Hacker, yeah, that looks good. Thank you for joining us in the Salon episode two. Special thanks to Adelaide for organising and facilitating our discussion. The RMIT Capital Club, RMIT Journalism Society and RMIT Catwalk Club for contributing to the discussion. Thanks to Neve for editing our podcast, Ben for writing our theme song and to all of our participants on Tuesday. Don't forget to join our Facebook group, The Salon RMIT Creative. Just a heads up, there'll be no salon next week because of RMIT's mid-semester break. But we will be back on Tuesday the 21st at 3pm or in podcast form on Friday the 24th. See you then.